What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today's guest on the podcast is the Deputy General Counsel of maybe the coolest company that we've had here on the podcast. And that is Seth Skiles, who is Deputy GC at Heineken USA. Seth, welcome into the podcast. Hey, Evan. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. For the record, we are not both drinking Heineken's because it is during the work day. However, we would like to be. Uh, Seth, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit uh, for our listeners? Sure. Yeah, my name is Seth Skiles. I'm Deputy General Counsel at Heineken USA. I live in New York City, fine borough of Queens. Been working at Heineken for about a year and a half now. And uh, before that, had a few different stops at uh, some tech companies. And then before that, I was in uh, law firm world at uh, Quinn Emanuel. And then before that, at your firm, uh, which is now Arnold and Porter. But when I was there was Kay Scholder. All right. So Seth, our, our listeners and lawyers always wonder how people get to where they are. Um, and especially when you reach the deputy GC level, which is pretty high and at a cool company, I think it would be interesting for us to just start with how you got there. Um, and then now that you're there, what you do. Sure. Yeah. It's for me been some realizations along the way about the things that I thought were going to be kind of defining characteristics of my legal career maybe not being as important to me as I thought they were a few years down the road and then sort of saying, okay, well, what do I actually like about being a lawyer and how do I redirect and get more into, into that? So first, uh, first sort of pivot for me was starting from a world of patent litigation, which I know that you do and going deep into that and doing that for five, six years, uh, and just learning more about it, getting better at it, moving up in the ranks, getting more skills in that area. And then one day just kind of waking up and saying, I just don't know if I can do this for the next 30, 40 years. I kind of want to just be a different lawyer. And so you pivot and you decide, all right, I'm going in house. I'm going to try that out. Yeah. I wanted to go in house and just go broader. I mean, I, I hear, from my friends, all the things that they work on in-house and it sounded pretty cool. It was like, well, you can be in the room with the business people making some of the most impactful decisions on the company, legal strategy, business strategy, uh, comm strategy, all of it gets um, sort of mixed together in a conscientious and strategic way. If things are working right. Sometimes it's just a bunch of people in a conference room trying to figure stuff out. And how does legal fit into that? How do you become a part of the team and add your piece to it? And that's really interested me. Is that like part of the room stuff? Is that what you're doing now? Are you like making business decisions for Heineken and deciding, you know, brands and litigation or what kind of things are you working on? It's definitely a shared effort. We don't make business decisions um, in the sense of, um, you know, sort of deciding what products to launch or what markets to move into. But we do partner with the business really early to try and understand what their goals are and then introduce them to what are the accompanying legal principles, regulations, potential legal pitfalls for their, for their business model, and then help them craft it 
uh, along the way towards execution. But, you know, always with the goal of not being that lawyer that comes into the room and says, no, you can't do this because they're always going to try and find another lawyer that says yes. And here's how. Yeah. I hear a lot from in-house lawyers that they're trying to be the department of no K N O W and not the department of no N O. Right. I would say we're trying to be the department of yes. And instead of <laughs> yes, but which is even more oh, like um, accepting and open to, yeah. to new ideas. I like that. I'm actually going to, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that with my clients. Yes. And you also have to do this. Yeah. You can really add anything on that with that. And it's pretty open-ended. Yes and no. <laughs> if you I want. Like All right. So how did you get to Heineken? Were you in consumer goods, consumer products before Heineken? Or did you just, you know, like sort of just translate in-house counsel role to in-house counsel role? I was. I started off uh, with Blue Apron, the meal kit company, yep. right when they were blowing up and meal kits were going to change the face of the food industry. It was a really exciting time. They were growing rapidly. They were building new warehouses and factories across the country. They were adding, adding lawyers, adding business people. They had just gone public and they hired me to uh, manage their supply chain and operations and food procurement legal needs. So I was commercial counsel for, um, for the sort of hard manufacturing side of their business. And then I also handled the litigation side for them which uh, keyed off of the litigation work that I had done back in my, my law firm days. Now, because consumer goods is like a particular area. I've done work in this space, and I know it's very particularized. Do you think the Blue Apron work sets you up for Heineken? <laughs> Absolutely. That was exactly what the, um, the folks at Heineken that hired me were, were looking for, was a background in that kind of very specialized world of supply chain, manufacturing, FDA regulations, and providing food products to, to, the, to the public in the United States. That's kind of the mission really broad, which encompasses things like popsicles and beer and crackers and all other things. They all go under the regulatory umbrella of, of the FDA. And then beer has its own separate umbrella. Um, so we you know never get wet unless we're drinking beer. So the is Heineken USA separate from the international arm? Are you do you liaise with them? Are you doing some importing, exporting? What what's going on there? It is separate uh, in that it's a separate legal entity, but we uh, we are an affiliate, so we're wholly owned by our corporate parent. And the the main business task that Heineken USA fulfills within the the broader Heineken organization is to import market distribute and sell beer and other products uh, within the United States. So our footprint is limited to the United States. And we have you know, many, many talented people that work on the marketing of the products in the United States and the sales of the products and the operation side, which is the moving of the products from, from place to place so that they're always available on the shelf and on time. So I'm not super familiar with the other outside Heineken brands, but I will state that um, when I was in, let's say college and a, of an appropriate age, legal drinking age, and you're accustomed Good to- Good qualifier there. Yes. I, I approve. Yeah. Uh, like Keystone Light and Natty Light and Pabst. And then you graduate, if you will, 
to the finer brews at that time. I'm going to date myself here. Heineken would qualify as something you would aspire to get that was just out of your price range. Is that, am I, is that still correct? Is that still where Heineken positions itself as a brand? That's a pretty good characterization, I'd say, for a lot of our consumers. I mean, we definitely do think of ourselves as a high-quality import. We have a special proprietary yeast that I think gives it a unique flavor that has been popular for, gosh, over 100 years. You know, the, oh, yeah, that, it's delicious. It's, it's a delicious, delicious beer. But we, we also want to be inclusive. So, you know, once you are of legal drinking age... We, we appeal to a broad cross-section of consumers, including folks that, you know, hopefully will think of the beer as, as just as accessible as anything else that they can find on draft. So are there, are there like the new age Heineken drinks, like flavored beers and seltzers and hard lemonades or whatever people are like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like white claws, like those types of things? We are definitely playing in that space and we've done some smaller launches of products, nothing that has gone full coast to coast just quite yet. Um, but the, the products that we have done on a, on a test basis in certain mar markets are Merchants, Basque, Arizona Sunrise and, and Coleman Hive. And these are beyond beer products. So um, Arizona Sunrise is a hard seltzer. Um, Basque was a, like an IPA flavored hard seltzer. Coleman uh, Hive is a, is a honey wine. So we're just, you know, I would say trying a number of things that we think appeal to, to the modern consumer because people's tastes are pretty broad these days and looking for that one product that is really going to take off like a white claw or, or a truly, but you know, what we see is there's a ton of seltzers out there. So I'm trying to think a little bit broader than just launching a, another seltzer. So we here at TMT time, like everything you just said, and would happily accept boxes or crates in the mail of all of said drinks. Uh, from Heineken and would volunteer to be a taste tester. If there yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I can tell you the problem, the product that is really taken off for us in the last year that I think you really might like is our uh, Dos Equis ranch water, uh, which is a hard oh, seltzer yeah. that kind ranch of plays is off of now. like Tesky, Texas based yeah, flavors. Texas. It's a Texas drink. Yeah, it's a Texas yeah. drink. It's really good. And then uh, Dos Equis variety pack, which is a beer but it's flavored and it's, they're really light and crisp flavors like watermelon and cucumber. Uh, you know, people have loved those products. They've been flying off the shelves. I didn't know you guys own Dos Equis. Yes. Yes. We have a couple of Mexican brands, Dos Equis and Tecate, which are both just easy drinking, delicious beers. Were you working there when Dos Equis was the most interesting man in the world? Isn't that Dos Equis? Yeah, that's one of our old campaigns. No, that was that was before my time. So as as the deputy GC, are you do you manage all of these different brands in terms of like, you know, brand strategy, trademarks or litigation? Does that fall under you? No, we have we have a legal team here that shares all of that work. And um, other folks on my team are the interfaces to our marketing department for for those brands. And uh, are really kind of experts in like 
alcohol law uh, in a way that I am not yet getting up to speed. But I've only been there about a year and a half. This is my first gig as an alcohol lawyer. We have people that have done it for years and can advise on very, very kind of tricky, intricate regulations down. Yeah, to it's very level. regulatory focus, and it's yeah, state by of, state of what sometimes. you can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how many people are on your team? We are um, just counting up here. Uh, we have four attorneys, including myself, and two regulatory experts. All right. So I, before we started recording the podcast, I had mentioned that you guys were hiring a legal counsel right now. Is that person report up in through you? What's that person's role going to be? That's TBD. We're, we're making uh, some changes right now in our, um, in our structure. I actually just hired a, uh, a new GC. And I'd say it's, it's all on the table at the moment. And it sort of depends on their skill set. And what they're bringing as how as to how we integrate them in, into the team. So, what types of things or qualities or attributes are you looking for when you're building your team in, internally there at Heineken? Well, we kind of think of it in terms of um, ranking skill sets that interface into the legal needs of of our business. I think, you know, for us having a good background in marketing law and advertising law is super helpful because a lot of what we do is help advise our marketing team on the legality of marketing campaigns and the legality of updates that they want to make to product labeling. And that stuff is all super heavily regulated. There's a trend right now of um, plaintiffs, class action lawyers, putting a lot of scrutiny on consumer products and taking class action claims anytime they can kind of plausibly allege that something is misleading in advertising or on the label. And so we're super focused on making sure everything that we say on the product and in our advertising is factually true, not misleading, and not even like sort of, you know, subject to fuzziness, right? Where you can sort of, you know, oh, it could mean one thing, it could mean another. Um, we, we definitely want our, our marketing team to take smart risks, but we also want to give them super crisp advice on what sort of claims and taglines could confuse consumers in a way that might end up um, causing a plaintiff's lawyer or a regulator to, to become interested in the product. Yeah, it's a very familiar to me. I've actually done quite a bit of work defending brands like Heineken on litigation over labels, the use of the word natural, you know, not slack fill, false ingredients, misleading. It's, it is a cottage industry for the plaintiff's lawyers that I'm sure you're dealing with quite. Yeah. A yeah, no, we, we see them just because we have um, such a high sales volume of, of products in the U.S. You know, Heineken and the other brands, I mentioned Tecate, Dos Equis, they're ubiquitous. They're in every, you know, not every, but they are in many or most, you know, bars, restaurants, supermarkets, convenience stores. And just having that much exposure increases the risks that you're going to draw uh, the, the unwanted. There was actually the litigation in your space over between Miller and Bud Light over the, the uses of corn syrup. Um, labeling and advertising a couple of years ago. I think that was probably before you joined Heineken, but that was a big thing for a while. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, we 
chuckled, I think, when we saw that um, going on because we don't make Heineken that way. We don't use any of those kind of what we would think of as like filler ingredients um, that lowers the cost of making beer. And so I can understand why those guys who also do like really big volumes, you know, might, but our, you know, our ethos for, for Heineken is, is pure. And it's always been kind of a true line back to the original ways that Heineken is made with super top quality ingredients, the um, premium a yeast, hundred percent malt. And so for us, we, you know, we don't play in that space and, you know, God bless to them. I hope they're not deceiving consumers with kind of that kind of stuff, but like, yeah, that was a mud fight. They, they got to hash out and, and not us. Yeah. See, this is why I, I consider Heineken in like the upper echelons of the beer, which are now being filled by the ubiquitous, you know, microbrews, um, small brews, small batch brews. I'm in Colorado and we have tons of that. Oh um, yeah. You know, I, if you're, Interesting you brought that up. So we we also do own uh Lagunitas, which I neglected to mention oh, yeah. in my in my original list. Cause I'm usually thinking of things that we are that we are importing, but they are a sister company of ours. They're also owned by by Heineken and are now big enough that you know they're sort of on the edge, I would say, of whether they are a craft brewer at this point because oh, they, used they do to be. have national kind of, yeah. um, distribution, but they they certainly do make the types of brews that you think of as, as craft beer and pretty delicious in my opinion. Uh, very delicious. So yeah. Um, all right. So when you're hiring for outside counsel and trying to build teams, whether it's litigation or dealing with marketing issues, what are some of the qualities that you guys are looking for? When we're looking at outside counsel, we're always thinking of it through the lens of what do we need help with? Uh, and so it's, it could be litigation, it could be marketing advice, but you know, we, we try and have the right level of expertise in-house so that we can answer a lot of our businesses requests without needing outside counsel. But when something, um, has magnified risk or delves into an area that requires specific expertise, that's when we're usually thinking about outside counsel. And so it's usually somewhat micro-focused at that point. Like we need, we need particular advice on FDA regulations or this particular aspect of class action litigation. So we're looking at their CV and how they explain their background first to see if they come close to the type of, um, type of specific advice that we need. And then beyond that, you know, we just, we want to work with people that are pleasant, collegial, professional and uh, give advice in a way that's succinct and easy for us to, to action on. What I get annoyed by um, sometimes, this doesn't happen with our counsel at, at Heineken, is you get on a phone call and you just get the sense that the outside counsel is just billing the hour, just chatting instead of having a focused strategic discussion where they're gathering the information they need to render advice giving you the advice and telling you what they propose as, as next steps. I like to see it as a kind of a logical flow to the conversation where they have an aim in mind when they get on the phone and they drive towards it and it feels you know purposeful and that we're getting value for the money we're paying. I read something that you were either interviewed on or you wrote in one of these lawyer magazines uh, and I, I liked it. And you said just because a bunch of lawyers are sitting around in a room doesn't mean that they're a team. And I may be paraphrasing it a little bit, but I like that. And I would love for you to expound on that a little more. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's probably something that comes up in a lot of team environments, um, which is 
there must be someone in a team that has as a goal of that team to make the team more a team, right? Teams don't just sort of cohere on their own. Um, there can be things that bring people together so that they're all pointing in the same direction. A good example is, you know, unity of vision. What are we all trying to do here collectively? And do we agree up front? Um, we do this at Heineken USA a lot. We come into a, a room with a group of people and we say, what is the aim of the meeting? And we make sure we all understand what the aim is. Um, because sometimes I've been in unproductive meetings where you just sort of ping-ponging concepts off of each other, or everyone just wants to get something off their chest on the topic. And that's fine. But at the end of it, it's like, okay, guys, what, what are we doing here? So when I think of team, I think of trying to find a unity of, of vision to, to cohere. So for, for our legal team every year in a very purposeful way, at the beginning of the year, we come up with a mission map for our team that defines at the very highest level in a sort of pithy way, what is our overall goal for the year as a team? And then within that, um, what are our strategic initiatives for our business? And we have a line for marketing, we have a line for sales, we have a line for our, for our HR department, and everybody is gonna come to us with strategic legal needs at the beginning of the year, all of the departments, and we're gonna map those and lay them out and put our goals against those and come up with some goals of our own. Uh, for example, in legal operations, we may wanna upgrade our software and tech so that we're doing our job better, which is more of an internal legal task or goal. And um, we just get super clear about that, put it all on a page and we make sure that it ladders up to each other department within HUSA's goals and within with the, overall, um, the overall goals of Heineken USA as an organization which our CEO and management team also carefully think on and give out to the rest of the company. So that sounds super deliberate and thoughtful. Is that the type of exercise that you saw in your prior companies or is this something you think that is unique to Heineken USA and something that makes your group excel? I've been very impressed by our, our current CEO and management team's focus on this, what we call mission mapping and have not seen it carried out to the quite the same extent in, in other places that I've worked. And I think you have to have seasoned management with a really kind of veteran perspective on um, how to motivate teams, motivate your whole organization, but then motivate each of your teams within a framework to, to, get, to get that right. And the other companies I've worked in, the management was uh, younger. Uh, these were startup companies uh, at Blue Apron, the CEO, I want to say, was in his early 30s. Uh, and then at Compass, the CEO was cl closer to my age. I think he's, he's in his er early 40s. And he was very vision focused. He did spend a lot of time coming up with the kind of five or six big, bold ideas for the company. And he asked everybody um, within the departments to think about those ideas and see how they could come up with goals that kind of map onto that too. I think just with Heineken USA, they do it to an even greater extent. And it all goes all the way back up to the global CEO, Dolph, who sets the strategy for the entire company and then has each of the operating companies in every country figure out how to implement that. I mean, you hit on the fact that it motivates people. So it's a reset every year to get buy-in uh, from your teams and help them sort of focus and drill down on what they're actually going to be doing and where and when and with who. Yeah, I think, I think that is what gets teams excited is, is when 
you know, they are presented a goal by their management and they say, yes, I agree with this goal. This is important. This is what we should focus on. And what I do in my day from now on out is going to be in furtherance of that goal. And if it's not, why am I doing it? Why am I spending time on this thing? That's not part of our strategic vision. And, you know, maybe you do have some 10% projects or whatever, but you know, the most of you, the bulk of your time should be spent doing the things that, you know, you have agreed on as a team are, are important for your department are important for your company. All right. So I have to pivot because we're getting close to the end, Seth, and I want to ask more beer related questions and stuff that you do outside the office, which I do on every episode. Let's Something you mentioned before we started recording was you actually get a beer allowance. The beer allowance is uh, one of the fun perks of working at Heineken USA. Uh, everybody gets a few hundred bucks a month to spread the love. Uh, you can use it on any of our products in, in our portfolio and you can spend that money wherever, you know, beer products can be purchased. And the idea is give it to your friends, give it to your family, uh, and expose people to, to these products. And especially to ones that, you know, maybe they haven't, they haven't tried yet. I think a lot of people have, have tried Heineken. Um, but we have a bunch of newer products, uh, like the Dos Equis ranch water, Dos Equis variety pack that we are trying to get the word out, um, with, with this program and, and many others, but you know, there's no better way to decide you like something than just to have someone hand you a free, a free version of it and take a drink yeah. and say, yeah, this is good. I would get this again. All right. So when you're not working or drinking the beer, what are you doing in New York city? Uh, I'm a, I'm a lover of New York city in the sense of walking around on the streets uh, seeing the urban landscape, stopping in bars, stopping in restaurants, uh, spending time just kind of being footloose and, and um, pounding the pavement. So I like to put on some headphones and just take a walk. My train gets off at Union Square. So I'll just kind of walk the blocks, get a little sweat going, pop into a bar, have a few beers, read a book. When I'm with my family, uh, we like to do the same thing. Take the kids to a cafe when the weather's nice. And um, just kind of have a leisurely lunch and then, you know, maybe go to a park or go to a bookstore, but we just really like to enjoy New York city. It's one of the great things about living right in the city is you have this trade-off of you get smaller spaces and the rent is higher, but the upside is, you know, the city itself, which is, it's like a universe. You could never see it all. All right, Seth. Well, dude, appreciate your time so much. Thank you for coming on TMT time. Best of luck to you with the hire. Best of luck to you with Heineken USA as you try and do the mission mapping for 2022. Thank you. Really enjoyed the chat. I always love talking about beer and, and the law. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure.